Well, this morning we are continuing our study of the end times, and uh, today I've titled my message, God Rules. And uh, maybe as a subtitle, He Shall Reign Forever and Ever. Last week we spoke um, about a prophecy from the book of Daniel that shows that there is a seven-year period that God will soon start to draw the nation of Israel to himself. And uh, Israel must come to the point where she recognizes Jesus as her Messiah and submit to him as God. That seven-year period, as we talked about, is the time of the tribulation. So the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Jesus will come to the air... The church will rise up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, the scripture says. That's the rapture. And at that time, the graves of the believers who have already died will open. They will rise first, and they will meet the Lord in the air. And then we who are alive at his coming will be changed and also meet the Lord in the air. The rapture will happen suddenly. It will happen unexpectedly. It will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And finally, we shall see him who loved us and gave himself for us. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Praise the Lord. That's what's next on the prophetic calendar, and I'm looking forward to that shout. We will then leave this world of pain and suffering and heartbreak. We will forever be free of sin's corruption from the evil one and from temptation. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more heartache, no more dying. Jesus is coming again to take us home to be with him. The Apostle Paul tells us that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night in 1 Thessalonians 5. The start of that day of the Lord begins at the rapture. And it is a time when God will publicly intervene in human history. He will judge his enemies He will judge apostate Israel. He will deliver all those who come to trust in him during the tribulation period. And he will then finally come at the end of the tribulation period. He will finally come back to the earth with his saints, the believers, the church, to establish his thousand year reign on the earth. His kingdom will be established. It is an everlasting kingdom and he shall reign forever and ever. Man, this should really thrill your hearts just to think of what is to come uh, in the future here. That day will start when the world least expects it. Just as a thief comes and takes people off guard, um, so will the rapture uh, take place when nobody is expecting it. Once the day of the Lord arrives, there is no stopping it. For when they say, when the world says, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, 
and they shall not escape. How do I know that the church will not suffer through the tribulation period? Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, and also verses 9 and 10. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For God did not appoint us to wrath. And this, the tribulation period is the time of the outpouring of the wrath of God. And he says very plainly here that God has not appointed us, the believers, the church, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Now, once the rapture takes place, God will once again start the clock ticking uh, for Israel's uh, history, and the earth will go through the worst period of turmoil and suffering that it has ever faced. A few weeks ago, David uh, spoke to us about the first half of the tribulation period, the first three and a half years, and during which time there will be wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. False prophets will rise up and deceive many, and lawlessness will abound. During the first half of the tribulation period, more than a quarter of the world's population will die. So in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, roughly, if, if you look at you know, current numbers, once the church is gone, the potential is for about two billion people to die in that first three and a half year period. The world's never seen anything like this before, except during the uh, flood, when only one family survived. Uh, they found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God saved Noah and his family. But the numbers are catastrophic. Then we read in Matthew 24, 15, Therefore, so this is now the halfway mark in the tribulation period, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That's actually the part of Matthew that we are supposed to be at today. And so I read that verse, and then we're going to cover another verse from Luke today, and then come back to this, Lord willing, next week, unless the Lord raptures us, and that would be even better. In the middle of the tribulation period, a man will rise up out of the revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist, who will deceive the world. The Antichrist is a liar and a deceiver. And the Bible says that he rises out, out of the revived Roman Empire in Daniel 7, 7 through 8. We have that. He um, overthrows three kings. And he speaks pompous words, the scripture says, against the Most High. He persecutes the tribulation saints, and they are persecuted for three and a half years. He will confirm a covenant with many, that is the unbelieving majority of the nation of Israel for seven, uh, for, for one week it says, for seven years. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And his hostility towards Israel becomes so obvious that he will prevent further sacrifices or offerings uh, to God in the newly constructed temple. And on the wing of abominations shall, one, shall be one who makes desolate. So 
he will set up an image of himself in the temple and, 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 and demand that people worship him and the image as, uh, as God. We see many, uh, or we may be seeing what the Bible predicts as the falling away, even in our generation. Some who profess faith uh, in Jesus Christ will depart from the faith and believe lies. 1 Timothy 4 talks about this. Perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money rather than lovers of God. Many will turn from the truth and listen only to teachers who tickle their ears. False teaching and heresies will become rampant. We read that in 2 Peter 2. And many will mock the teaching of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.3. We may still see in our lifetime the Antichrist rise to power, promising peace and safety to the world. But the rapture will remove us from the earth before God's judgment. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4 says this, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That is the Antichrist who is demanding worship of the people of the world. He will command the worship of the world, will set up an idol of himself in the temple. He is somehow able to breathe life or breath, the Bible says, into the image so that it speaks and calls for the destruction in the world to those who will not take the number 666 on their forehead or their hand and worship the beast. This symbol or this sign or number is basically the means by which the world can then trade. They can buy, they can sell, they can live. And um, that is uh, his number and it is the mark of the beast. Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, and this is where we're heading today, um, and they, the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, the book of Daniel actually answers this prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Daniel's prophecy is as current as today's headlines, and his prophecies unlock the secrets of what is still to come. We need to know as believers, this is, we've got to have this assurance as believers, that God is in complete control of history. Not only the greater picture of nations and kingdoms, but God is in complete control of every event in your life. God rules. God is in control. Nothing and no one can prevent him from accomplishing his will, his design, his plan. He has a plan for Israel. He has a plan for the Gentile nations. He has a plan for the church. And he has an individual plan for you. The Bible tells us that. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of prosperity, not calamity. Uh, he has a plan for you. And the Lord Jesus Christ will come. He will defeat all of his enemies. He will set up his kingdom on the earth. 
and Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. Praise the Lord. So let's take a look at the slides as we go. And um, you've got a handout. If not, raise your hand. Uh, somebody will pass it out for you. Oh, uh, maybe Kathy or anybody else need one? Okay. All right, let's start in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep things and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. Daniel, uh, as you know, had a number of uh, prophecies, and he was very plain about where the answer to these prophecies came from. It was God revealing to him what was going to happen in the future. Dan, Daniel was a young Jewish man who was taken captive to Babylon. Um, and I, So I'm going to stop and ask, why were the, the uh, Jewish people taken into captivity? In 2 Chronicles 36, it says this, and the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people. God wanted the Jewish people to repent, to turn to him. He had compassion on them and uh, on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. As we mentioned last week, Jeremiah the prophet predicted that the captivity in Babylon would be for 70 years, and that's what happened. So Daniel was among the captives, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar ordered these men to be trained to serve him. And all four of these men were trained in Babylonian service, but they remained faithful to the Lord. We read in Daniel 1.17, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Brothers and sisters, the king is coming. And it's not a kingdom of this world. One night, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And that dream deeply troubled him. And he called for all of the wise men of his kingdom, the sorcerers, astrologers, and magicians to come and interpret the dream. He told them to tell him what the dream was that he had and then tell him the interpretation of that dream. And they're like, what? And uh, they said, no, but you tell us the dream first and then we'll tell you what it means. And he would not. But he demanded that they tell him both the dream and its interpretation, and if they did not, he would put them to death. And of course, they couldn't do what he had demanded. Nobody can know what the dream is of somebody else, but they were arrested, and they were sentenced to death. And Daniel was among those who were going to be arrested and, and put to death as well. So he went to his friends, and they prayed, and they asked the Lord to show them mercy and to reveal the secret to them. And in answer to prayer, we read in Daniel 2, 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So God gave Daniel the same dream. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven, 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Now, believers, pay close attention to those verses. When our world looks like it is in chaos and trouble, and it feels like the enemy has come in like a flood, remember that there is a God in heaven who is in complete control of everything in the universe, and he controls every event in your life too. He can just as easily uproot a king, a president, a boss, or a person in your life who is troubling you. He gives wisdom to judges and counsel to elders. And the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Do not forget, it is God who is in control. God rules. Many of you face troubles in your life for taking a stand for Christ. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. God rules. Daniel requested an audience with the king, and this is what he says. So let's take a look at slide three here. <clears throat> Daniel 2, 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He's now saying this to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, Thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. And so this next uh, image is an artist's uh, understanding of what the image might have looked like. Obviously, we, we don't have privy to the dream. So this is the, uh, the description of it. And so this is the uh, image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Uh, in verse Daniel 2:31, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched... While a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and gold were crushed together. In other words, the entire image was crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found." And the stone that struck 
the image, became a mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the uh, dream, and now we're going to tell you the interpretation of it before the king. All right. So that is the, um, the dream. Let's go back to the, uh, the slide, Luke, uh, number nine, if you can. Keep going. Keep going. One more. There. Okay. That, now we're on the page. Now you have your paper in front of you. You have the image before you and uh, the lines there. Now we're going to talk about what, this, uh, what the interpretation is of this dream. Okay. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Notice that it was God who gave him this. God rules. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So the first kingdom that Daniel is talking about, the first kingdom represented by this image, is the Babylonian kingdom, the head of gold, and it is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who is this head of gold. All right, the next slide is um, starting with verse 39. But after you shall, I'm sorry, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and we will see uh, in just a few minutes that it is God once again who overthrows the Babylonian kingdom and sets in place another kingdom, which is the Medo-Persian kingdom. The chest and arms were of silver, representing the rise of the uh, Medes and the Persians. And the Medo-Persian kingdom conquered Babylon in 539. The two arms represent the two divisions of this kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. Next, in verse 39, another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. For God's purposes, he changed the kingdom yet again. And uh, in this case, the world power is represented by bronze, and it is the kingdom of, under the rule of Alexander the Great. It is the Grecian kingdom. Um, next, we have the Roman kingdom. And the fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all of the others. The fourth world power is represented by the crushing forces of the Roman Empire. The two legs represent the kingdom's eastern and western divisions. And the Roman Empire, it's interesting, they were not conquered. They just disintegrated. And uh, all of these kingdoms have come to power and have been defeated just as God said. So, if the prophecies are accurate for the first four kingdoms we can be assured that God will see to it that he will fulfill the rest of this prophecy. So next is the revived Roman Empire. Whereas you see, or pardon me, whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. 
As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. This prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. This is a future prophecy of the revived Roman Empire, the revived Roman Kingdom. Uh, the dominant world empire, which will be in power during the second coming of Christ. The kingdom will be represented by ten nations, represented by the ten toes of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's likely that we already see some of the formations of this kingdom uh, in Europe today. Yet this will not be the final kingdom. For God says, in verse 44, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This is the kingdom, the coming kingdom, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God rules. The king is coming. So inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. That's the prophecy from Daniel to the king. The fifth and final kingdom is not part of the statue. It is a separate kingdom not of this world. This prophecy is also unfulfilled in our day. And from the prophecy, we learn that it is God's kingdom. During the tribulation period, God will destroy the earthly kingdoms and then eventually establish his reign in righteousness through the Lord Jesus Christ. God will destroy these kingdoms represented by that statue with a stone, something called a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands. The stone is Jesus, who is called the chief cornerstone, the stone which the builders rejected, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus is that stone that will destroy the kingdoms of this world. And so the stone is Jesus. The last and final kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. The king is coming, and the king's name is Jesus. His kingdom is described as a great mountain that filled the whole earth. His kingdom will be a universal, eternal kingdom. Okay, let's look at slide 15, Luke. <clears throat> so Revelation eleven fifteen says this, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Many years later, Daniel had a dream of his own, a vision, a prophecy. And we read this in Daniel 7. And you'll see how this dream fits together with this dream of, from Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon, at the time of Daniel's dream, Babylon was still in power. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had died. And uh, Daniel 
has a dream. Uh, Belshazzar was now king. Belshazzar was the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel seems, sees the same four world kingdoms in a dream, no longer as a statue, but now as beasts that come out of the sea. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream of, and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So, let's, so the Bible often uses um, terms that we need to understand what they are. So the great sea is the Mediterranean Sea. It's always been called that. So the Mediterranean region, out of the Mediterranean region and out of the sea, um, the sea often represents Gentiles in the scripture. So, what the, so Gentile nations come out of the world, shall we say, out of the sea um, in the Mediterranean region. Um, and four great beasts came up from the sea. These are different from each other. The four great beasts represent four Gentile world empires, just as we saw in the statue dream. So the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. The lion of Babylon represents the king of Babylon. He is both the head of gold and the lion in this uh, vision. When we look at the statue, Daniel makes it clear that the first kingdom is Babylon. For he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. So the lion must also refer to Babylon and to King Nebuchadnezzar too. Do you remember the story of um, King Nebuchadnezzar who went insane for a period of about seven years? He was driven from men. He ate grass of the field like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws until he acknowledged that heaven rules. God rules. If you get nothing else out of this sermon today, get that. God rules. He said, The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And although great earthly monarchs have risen to power, it is God who is in command over all. He places one in authority and he casts down another according to his purposes and plans. God rules. Daniel is speaking about Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold, the leader of the Babylonian Empire. He died in 562, but the, the empire continued on until 539 BC. Just as God said, the kingdom did not last forever. There was a fateful night uh, in 539 BC. King Belshazzar, as I said, the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, held a great feast. It was a drunken orgy. And he called for all the golden vessels, the cups, the dishes and that, that had been used in the temple of God. When the Babylonians had originally taken the people into captivity, they destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. But they took all the gold and uh, all of the, the precious uh, temple utensils and cups and all that, 
And he calls for them at this party and he says, let's use the temple uh, cups for our party. And he fills them with wine. And they get drunk. And he's committing uh, blasphemous defiance against God by using sacred utensils from the temple of God. And his kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, is taken away from him in one night. That very night, God took away the kingdom of Babylon. The Bible tells us, um, sorry, suddenly there was a finger of a man writing on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. The meaning of the phrase is, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And the Babylonian kingdom was taken away and given to the Medes and Persians. And it was at that very moment, while the party was going strong, that the Medes and Persians conquered the city of Babylon. Babylon was an impenetrable fortress, but they were very clever. There was a river that flowed through just under the, the gates of, of the, uh, not the gates, but under the walls of the city. It, it provided water for the city. And they diverted the water to another location. And so now there was a stream and the armies went under the walls through that stream bed and up and basically just took over the city. They conquered it in one night and uh, Belshazzar was slain. That night the Babylonian Empire collapsed and the Medes and Persians seized world domination. So then in verse 5 it says this, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Notice it is God, once again, who is transferring world power and commanding them to devour much flesh. And in doing so, they are actually fulfilling God's purposes. God rules. The bear kingdom is the same kingdom as represented by the silver in the uh, statue vision. It is the Medo-Persian kingdom. And just as silver is not as valuable as gold, the Medo-Persian kingdom was not as great as the kingdom of Babylon. Jeremiah the prophet predicted that this kingdom would destroy Babylon. He says, make the arrows bright, gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his plan is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. It's interesting to me that God used the Babylonians to discipline his children, the Jews, for their uh, disobedience to the Lord. And yet God now uses the Medes and the Persians to discipline the Babylonian kingdom for what they did to the temple of God. God is in control of it all. God rules. While Belshazzar um, died that night, so the bear is raised up on one side, indicating that the Persian portion of the kingdom rose to prominence. The three ribs in its mouth suggest that they conquered three nations, which are Babylon, Egypt, and uh, Lydia. Remember that this prophecy is really interesting. This prophecy is happening in real time in Daniel's life. 
And so he predicted these things. He is now seeing the fulfillment of these things. If these things took place in, um, and were fulfilled, then how much more will all of the prophecy be fulfilled in like manner? The next is the leopard kingdom. After this I looked and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. The third world power is represented by bronze in the, in the statue vision and by the leopard in Daniel's vision. God rules once again. He took away the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians and he gave it to Alexander the Great, the ruler of the Grecian Empire. It lasted for 185 years. But notice in the, in the statements that I read, dominion was given to it. In other words, God gave Alexander uh, dominion over the world. God raised up Alexander to accomplish his purposes. Why a leopard and why four heads? Well, the leopard is a speedy animal. It has been given wings to fly, making it faster still. And one of the features of the Greek empire was how swiftly, like a leopard with wings, Alexander conquered the world. He captured lands as far east as India. Alexander only reigned for 13 years, but he conquered the world in that time frame. And Alexander died at about 32 or 33 years of age, and he asked upon his death that his hands would, would remain outside of his coffin, and his hands would be open. And the reason was that I came to this world in empty hands, and I will leave this world in empty hands. He conquered the world, but he left it all behind. There has to be a lesson in this for us, too. For 1 Timothy 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. The four heads represent the kingdom that was split into four divisions after Alexander died. Four generals that took over the kingdom in four areas. The Lord raises up kings as he wishes. God rules. It's part of his plan. It's interesting that God was preparing the world through Alexander the Great for the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. The world's language changed. And the world's language became Greek. And Greek is the perfect language to communicate the truths of the gospel. And our New Testaments were written in the Greek language. God was preparing for his son. Yes, he raised Alexander, a brutal man, but he used him to change the world's languages so that we would have the most accurate communication of the gospel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. The final beast of Daniel's dream is a dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong beast. It's a mongrel beast. I mean, it looks terrible, awful, uh, made up of the previous beast before it. And it's described for us in Revelation chapter 13. It seems that in Daniel's dream, 
we skip over the Roman Empire and we go straight to the revived Roman Empire of the last days. Listen to Revelation 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And when we get to this point, it's as if God has lost control. I mean, it seems like it. The Antichrist has now set himself up in the temple with an idol of himself proclaiming to be God. And he is given power for three and a half years, and he is evil personified. He speaks pompous and blasphemous words against God, but, saints, God still rules. For there is yet one more kingdom in the prophecies of Daniel, and it is a kingdom not made with hands of men. It is the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You know, as you look at the news, as you look at things going on in this world today, does it trouble you? Current politics? <laughs> they trouble me. Are you discouraged by those who rule over you? Are you concerned by minor league players in the world's courts who spout foolishness about not submitting to God's authority, God's laws, and counsel? Remember what Psalm 2 says. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. God will set his son on this earth to reign upon the whole earth and of his kingdom and his power there shall be no end. Daniel's prophecy paints a picture for us of the past kingdoms and the future short-lived pompous king, the Antichrist, who will be destroyed by the Ancient of Days. Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks were all conquered in battle, but this pompous final king, not the Lord Jesus, but the king, uh, the Antichrist, will be destroyed by divine judgment. It's interesting to me that in the middle of Daniel's dream, before he gets even to the end of it, he pauses, and this is what it says in Daniel 7, 9 through 14, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. That's the Antichrist. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed 
and given to the burning flame. God will place them in the lake of fire for eternity. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. We have now come to the end of the tribulation period. Uh, We have come to the end of the times of the Gentiles. I've been teasing you with that phrase for weeks. This is the end of the times of the Gentiles. The king is coming, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And there will be no question on that day that God rules in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. During the first London performance of Handel's Messiah, most of you have heard the whole oratory, King George II sat listening to the performance. He was the king of the British Empire. It was known as the empire on which the sun never sets. They had conquered lands around the globe, and the sun was always shining somewhere in the British Empire. Yet when the hallelujah chorus rang out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, the song went on, The king stood up. He knew that though he was the ruler of the British Empire, that the sun never set on his empire, he knew that he was subject to the greater king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his public stand, his public statement that day, remains the tradition as people stand for this course, even today um, when this uh, Messiah is performed. And so... We're going to play it. You can stand if you can, and you can sing along with it. But if you know the words, it it talks about, for the Lord omnipotent, God omnipotent reigneth, uh, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus Christ is the king. With the end of that, we will, uh, the, the meeting will be over.